0: Last week, we began a new theme for the year, Shake It Up. You probably want if you weren't here, all these cans behind us, we took some aerosol cans and we shook them up and we used the analogy that the paint is in the can and you need to shake things up in order for you to paint your color on the fabric of light. So as we walk through this series of messages, each week we're looking for areas in your life, your home, uh, where your workplace, wherever you go. Reevaluate, rethink, in some places will stay the same, but there are areas that we need to shake it up and to live to our redemptive potential. Now, let me begin by saying this truth today. How about this year, let's make a choice to refuse to stay behind. Let me explain what I mean by that. Let's choose not to opt out of opportunities. Let's be quick to say yes and think yes instead of thinking no. Someone comes to us, gives us an opportunity. Can we improve? Can we move on? Can we become? Can we go? Let's think yes instead of thinking no. How about with our kids? Let's think yes instead of thinking no. That little thought will change the trajectory of your life. All of us have principles that we live by, whether spoken or unspoken, and they define you and me and will determine the impact or the color that we spray on the fabric of life. Yet many Christ followers live their lives with a state of regret because of the choices they have chosen not to make. And you often hear these three things over and over and over. Someone who lives with thinking no instead of thinking yes, who stays behind instead of saying, yes, I'll jump in, People who have a tendency to live that way often say these three things in some form or fashion afterwards. They often live with a state of regret. And here's how it often goes. I wish I had done that. How many times have you heard that? Hopefully you're not the person that's saying that. But how many times has that phrase, after hearing what took place, who was involved, how God moved... What you saw your son or daughter. It's like seeing that first step. I wish I was there. Or seeing some great move in your own family's life. How many times have you said or someone has said these words. I wish I had done that. I didn't know that it would have been that easy. Or if I could have chosen differently. I would have had jumped in. How many times have you said that? Heard that? I wish number one. I had done that. Secondly. If I could have chosen differently, I would have done it this time. Yet how many of us miss the window of opportunity, the door of opportunity, because we're thinking no instead of thinking yes. We're left behind instead of jumping in. And the last thing you often hear from people who live with a state of regret is this. How come that never happens to me? How come it always happens to her? And how come they always see that and experience that? How come they're always out there and these things happen to them? If you are that person saying that, then generally speaking, you are living on the other wrong side of yes. You're living on the side of no. And there's only some things that God can teach us on the other side of yes. So I encourage you this year to think yes instead of thinking no. Every one of these statements I've just spoken leave you behind because you have opted not to do something. This week I was reminded of how true that is. On a cold winter morning in 2009, February, right here on this stage, I stood before you on a Sunday morning, and we asked you from the leadership team if you would be interested in jumping in and being part of rescuing orphans in Cambodia and Thailand. We had no idea the impact that it could have. But all we knew is James 1, that pure and faultless religion is to look after orphans and widows in distress and to care for them. That's all we knew. And we knew that God was calling us to rescue orphans. And the commitment that Sunday was this, that not only would we commit to help, but we would stand alongside of them and care for them and help them make it through school, helped them make it to the next level until they were on their own. And to this day, over 65 children have been rescued, and many are in prestigious universities in Cambodia and Thailand, and we have had numerous trips over. And many of you, we have a trip going in February, had made a choice, and because of your generosity and many of your commitments on that morning, we have stood with them. I received a text this week from the director of Asia's Hope. It's who we link with. It's where we build our homes with. And he sent me this text. And I rejoice because you chose not to opt out. And here's what it says from John McCullum: Hey, Jim, I wanted to let you know that between 2009 and 2017, your church, Grace Community Church, has given the staff and kids of Asia's Hope $1,017,042. Praise God for that. And then he said this. That puts you guys in a very small million-dollar club with only four members. And he says, I am moved almost to tears by your congregation's generosity and your leadership. Can we praise God for that? (laughs) Praise the Lord. And many of you have been there. I mean, you want to be part of a million-dollar club? That's the one. Pure and faultless religion. And because of your generosity and because of your sacrifice and your giving and caring, we have these beautiful young adults that have grown up. We have these beautiful children who now have hope, who have been pulled out of the possibility of human sex slavery, who are now becoming literally Asia's hope with Jesus Christ. And because you chose to give and continue to give, we are experiencing that. There's a story in the Bible of a man by the name of Elisha, not Elijah, but he's in the story too, but a man by the name Elisha that chose not to stay behind. And because he chose not to stay behind, he will experience and witness incredible God move in his life and in his country. Near the end of his life, he finds himself right before he dies with one of the most intriguing passages in Scripture. Turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 13, and I'll show you what I mean. If you're in the Bible, hold your hand up. Open up your mobile device. But turn to 2 Kings chapter 13. And we are going to read verses 14 through 20. 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 14 to 20. Would you stand with me as we read this out loud? 2 Kings 13... And we're going to read verses 14 to 20. This is the end of Elisha's life. Let's read this out loud together. 2 Kings 13, 14 to 20. Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehosh, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. You will have completely destroyed the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, take your arrows, and the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. Elisha died and was buried. Now Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. You may have a seat. We have a story that's a very intriguing story. Elisha's at the end of his life. He goes to the king that's there and he tells him, take the arrows that you have in your quiver, open up the east window, take your bow and shoot an arrow into the sky. And so he releases an arrow into the sky and then he tells him, now take the arrows that you have and strike the ground. And so the king takes his arrows and strikes it three times and Elisha is Angry with the king. He's upset with the king. He's ticked at the king. And you might say, why would he be upset? He's at the end of his life. And so the king stops. And then Elisha says, You shouldn't have quit. You shouldn't have stopped. You should have kept striking the ground. Kept striking the ground. And because you chose to quit, you will not receive these other victories I had in store for you. Very intriguing passage. And the point is this. Elisha knew that the king had much more. Maybe, maybe, we don't know, the text doesn't reveal why the king didn't continue to strike the ground. Maybe he felt this was beneath him. Like, why in the world am I striking the ground? Maybe he thought it was dumb. Maybe he just didn't make any sense to him. The point is this, because he quit, because he stopped, because he didn't continue to strike the ground, it cost him victory after victory. And he only received three victories. The trajectory of your life will change when you refuse to opt out. So we have this king who has this prophet by the name of Elisha. He's at the end of his life coming to him. And he wants to give him a word from the Lord. And as he gets the word from the Lord, the king hears it. And in his mind, he should stop. But Elisha, no, he wanted him to continue to strike the ground, continue to be in the game, continue to to take the arrows and hit the ground. I wonder as I read this, as God has come to us, and he's laid out a plan in our lives. Stay in the game. You're not done just because you're a certain age. You're not too old. You're not too young. You're, you're not too, too far away. And so he's saying these things to us. And I wonder how many of us have quit, quit striking the ground because we think that's it. And God is saying, no, I have intended so much more for you. Let me just ask a question. Maybe these will help you determine if you are a person who's chosen to opt out. Have you become the kind of person who wants the reward but seeks the shortcut? Oh, Lord, I want to be healthy spiritually, physically, emotionally, intellectually. And, Lord, I want to be a leader. And I, I want to be a better golfer. I want, I want to be a better basketball player. And I, I want to be a better coach and employer and owner. And, but you don't want to do the work. You're looking for the shortcut. And God's saying, stay at it. Stay at it. Stay at it. Don't quit because I have this ahead of you. Or... Are you the kind of person who's always doing the least you can do and just enough to get by? Because it's hard. It's difficult. But you want the reward, and God's saying, you will never experience what I have in store for you because you're not willing to work it and keep after it. Are you the kind of person who wants more and complains when you don't get it, yet isn't faithful with little? Are you that person? There's a principle in the Bible that says when you're faithful with little, God will let you be faithful with much. The reality is this, that he is the one who influences. He puts the influence in power. He gives you the power to make influence. And maybe you're that person, how come they have great influence? How come she does? How come they're always out on the front lines? Maybe, just maybe, you haven't been faithful with little. In order to be faithful with much, you must be faithful with little. Are you the person who says, contact me next time, knowing full well, next time will be another next time? Do you know those contacts? Hey, will you join me in this journey? Will you help me? Would you be part of this? And would you jump in? And and you get the response from people who think no instead of yes. Contact me next time, okay? Knowing full well, they're hopeful that somehow you forget, but you're that conscientious person who writes it down and said, I ask them this time, I'm coming back after them. And you come back and what do they say? Well, contact me next time. I want you to lead. Contact me next time. And they, knowing full well, they'll never initiate, and they hope that you don't ask them. Or give me a rain check, yet knowing it really means gone till further notice. Are you that kind of Christ follower who often has opportunities? Keep at it. Don't quit. Yet you have this litany of excuses, and they're so good. And you think that no one else has said them. And yet you have them. You're ready. And you're thinking no, instead of thinking yes for opportunities. The reason Elisha was so upset was because he knew what it meant for the king and how this king would live far below his redemptive potential and wouldn't be able to take the paint in his can and change the fabric of life the way that God intended it to happen. And this belief in Elisha and the reason he was so upset is because he made a choice in his early days of being a prophet when 50 others chose not to. Every one of them had the same opportunity. They could follow Elijah and see a great move of God, but they chose not to, but Elisha did, and he lived his life by thinking yes, and because he experienced all that, he knew that this king was blowing an opportunity to be used in a great way, and he was angry with him. Because he saw this potential in him. Have you ever seen potential in someone and they waste it? Have you ever seen natural ability? And you think, boy, if that kid only worked as hard as that kid who has no ability, what could happen? It's the same way in our lives with Christ. God has given us this incredible gifts, talents, and abilities. And he's saying, I'm just waiting for you to jump in the game and be used. Elisha was so impactful in his life that verse 21 says this. Look what happens at the end of his life. Verse 21 says this. Once while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. So they threw the man's body into whose tomb? What's it say? Elisha's tomb. When the body touched whose bones? What's it say? Elisha's. The man came back to life. And stood up on his feet. Now, you talk about impact. When's the last funeral you've been to? Let's drop that baby in the ground. Because Bob or Billy or Tom or Sally or or Sarah was was buried beside him. They put it in the ground and this guy came jumping out of the box. I love that. And I believe that's there to remind us that Elisha went out swinging. And his life was impacting not only the living but the dead. You see, the influence and impact that Elijah had would come from a life. And this is it. This is it. This is where it all begins. How did it begin? Like that's what we want to know, don't we? Of refusing to opt out. And when did that take place? Well, turn back to Second Kings chapter two. Just go back. When did this thinking? When? When did he develop this mindset? Like, when did it take place? We'll turn back to 2 Kings chapter 2 and look at verses 1 through 8. Follow along with me. 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. It says this. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha, who we just talked about, were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. He should have sent him to grace. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not what you. So they went down to Bethel. Verse three, the company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master Elijah from you today? Yes, I know. Elisha replied, so be quiet. Verse 4, then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. Second time, and he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not want you. Again, he says, I'm coming with you. So they went to Jericho. Verse 5, the company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you not know that? The Lord is going to take your master from you today. Yes, I know, he replied. So enough, quiet. Verse six, then Elijah said to him, third time, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not want you. So the two of them walked on. I love his willingness. Not one time. Did he say, ah, you know what, it's been a hard day. I got a busy schedule this week, and i already done that thing. And you know what, send someone else. Every single time he had an opportunity to go, every single time he had the chance to go, He he even had the man in his life say, it's okay if you stay behind. He says, no, I heard that you're leaving soon. And I want to be with the prophet of God. Meanwhile, 50 other prophets, 50 others. You know what they did? Stayed behind. Had the same opportunity to go and be with Elijah like Elisha was. But they chose to stay behind. I love it. You know why? Because he volunteered. He volunteered to go. I love this word. And even processing and thinking about again this week. Because our church is loaded with volunteers. And and by the way, in in a very, very, very good way, when I'm with other pastors and churches, I I say, our church is loaded with volunteers. They serve. And I tell them the size of our church, and I tell them the size of our staff, and then I tell them the the number of volunteers. and, And it's almost every single person like, what? You have that many? Yeah. Our church volunteers. And the point is this, this year, when you have the opportunity, God wants you to use your gifts, skills, and abilities, and talents to jump into The idea of volunteer, you have, when I think of a volunteer, there's something powerful about someone who doesn't have to be drafted, just chooses to do it. But many people, just like these other prophets, when an opportunity comes and they ask, and here's what often is said, let me sleep on it. How many times have you heard that? Or, l- 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 let me sleep on it. Or let me pray about it. I tell you, sometimes God says stop praying and start acting. We already know that we're supposed to serve. Jump in. And you often hear this I'm waiting on a sign from God. Well, here's the sign. See me? Here's the need. There's you. Or, Next time around, contact me. Knowing full well, you know full well just like I know full well. When I hear that, they're not going to contact you next time around. Or I'll sit this one out. You see, something is very noble, and I mean this with all of my heart, about warriors who stand on the front lines Not out of obligation, but because they risk their lives for others. That's what a volunteer does. He isn't or she isn't drafted. They just say, put me in, sign me up, I'm all the way in. And that's what Elisha is doing here. Elijah is about to be taken up into heaven. And a whole host of prophets is about to see it, chance to see it happen. A couple of things come to mind when I read this account. These other prophets knew. They knew, they knew that your master was about to be taken away, just like Elisha did. And when I read that, I often wonder this when I read this. If you know he is leaving, wouldn't you want to be there? Like, if you knew someone you cared about was the prophet, was the man of God who was speaking to that generation, like, wouldn't you want to be with him To hear his last words that he could pass down. Like, when I read this, like, why didn't they want to go with him? Another thing that crosses my mind that I find perplexing. All the prophets had the same information, yet only one kept going. Here's what I know from experience, and here's what I know from living this life. If you stay in your past, you die to your future. If you stay back here, you die to your future. And these prophets, all 50 of them, are staying put And their future is, you can be with Elijah when this chariot takes him to heaven and he doesn't physically die. You could be an eyewitness to that account instead of watching reruns on YouTube. Like I want to be right in the front lines. You see, Elisha believes something and puts it into play in his life early. If you want to live life without saying, I wish I had been there, then show up. I recently read a book. It's a great book by Erwin McManus. And he was talking about a time in his life. And he's a, a writer and pastor in L.A. He was talking about a time in his life in his early stages of ministry that he was overseas on a missions trip. Came back. He had previously signed up to serve at this conference that his wife was helping to direct. 20,000 people were there. And he had chosen, as he had done years before, to go backstage and have a flashlight in his hand. And help people navigate through the dark hallways. So he got home. He was tired. He, was, he didn't want to go there. And so his wife came to him and said, "Erwin, are you coming? Oh, I think I'll sit this one out. I'm tired. It was a long trip. My job, they won't miss me. I mean, it's, it's, it's a meaningless job in my mind. Someone else can hold a flashlight. So he was about ready to check out. But his wife pressed him. And he says, I'll go out of obligation. So he finds his way to this conference. Big conference, 20,000 people. He's back there with his flashlight helping people navigate through the dark hallways when right before the conference starts, a man comes to him and says, Erwin, are you Erwin McManus? He said, yes, sir, I am. He said the keynote speaker got sick and was unable to make it. He said, we're in a bind. I want you to preach. So Erwin looks at this man and says, I don't even have a Bible. He says, I'll get you a Bible. He says... I got 15 minutes to prep. He says, I'll give you a room. See, so I walked backstage, and I got in this room, and I was ready to prep, and I had my Bible out, and I said, I was thinking, 20,000 people. And he said, my wife walks into the room, and I look it up at her, and she says, aren't you glad you came? He says, how'd you know? How many times have we heard that one? And then she said something. She said, God spoke to me before we left that you were going to speak tonight, but I just wanted to see if you were obedient. Sometimes the Holy Spirit, our wife's voice, sounds the same, doesn't it? (laughs) And how many times, if you're like me, Ann will speak, and I don't like it, and I'm driving down the road, and it's like, stink, she's right again. Send the text, I'm sorry. So he goes out and speaks. And because of that encounter, he had been faithful in little. God gave him an opportunity and much, and his influence changed, and God gave him platform opportunities from that point on. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. How many of those opportunities you've missed out on? Come on, church. Let's don't miss out on them in 2018. Let's think yes instead of thinking no. Let's, let's, let's change the way we think. You see, in this coming year, if you're looking for ways to shake it up, and the motive is so that we can get to see and do and influence the lives of others, then we must think yes instead of thinking no. Far too many of you in this room have already said no before you've even been asked. Now answer this question the next time someone comes to you. Is this thing you are doing right now more important than the thing you've been asked to do? Well, come on, Pastor Jim. It's the third rerun of South Missouri State basketball game on ESPN. And the dude hits this, like, 33-foot jumper. Like, I got to watch that again. Oh, come on, Pastor Jim. Now you're stomping on my toes. Is this thing that you're doing, is that Netflix movie? Is HGTV is the greatest showman? I got to go to the movie and find out that there's some people in this world that God loves and they need grace and, and hallelujah. Guess what? You could meet some of those people. Most of us think we like a certain type of adventure, a certain job certain woman, a certain man, a certain girl and boy and vacation or food or mission, and later we find out if we take a chance on something we didn't think we would like, we soon realize that is not truly the case. I can think of opportunities that by God's grace that I've been part of teams and people, and I think of our first trip into Iraq in 2015 when eight of us went in and you you gave and sacrificed and gave a quarter of a million dollars to go help refugees and we, we got apartments and, and, and we didn't even know what that would look like and the Lord gave us apartments and we took a quarter of a million dollars and we pulled these refugees from Mosul and we saw because of that Muslims have gotten saved through Pastor Malas Church and Kurds have been encouraged. and I remember on that trip, the first trip in, sitting with these refugees who had heard that there was this group of people in this small place called Goshen, Indiana, that were over here. And they were providing food. We brought in trucks of food. And I remember carrying it, helped carrying up this second story building where all these refugees were staying. And then the Lord gave us an opportunity to walk in the room. And I remember sitting in this room with these leaders, tribal leaders, these Kurdish leaders that had come out of Mosul. ISIS had pushed them out, listening to their stories of how their families had been killed by ISIS and sitting in this room. And I remember watching this man walk in and his wife come in and sit down. And they were holding this little... Baby, less than two months old. And I remember being seated there, and Pastor Malath, who we now have linked arms with in Erbil, Iraq, saying to me that there's this young couple over here that hasn't named their child yet. And because of the generosity of your church and your people, they want you, Pastor Jim, to name their baby. Oh, Holy Spirit, don't let me get this one wrong. And I remember seated there and thinking, oh, Spirit of God, speak to me. And immediately, in the quietness of this room, we're going to name that baby girl Grace. And I remember turning to Pastor Maloth and saying, we want to name the baby Grace, and this is why. It's because by grace through faith that you're saved, and it's by God's grace that we are here today to meet them. And let that daddy know and that mommy know that that baby's name is Grace. And so he spoke it in Aramaic, and and this dad looked at us and nodded his head and spoke these words over his child, and then they asked me to pray, and I prayed, dear God, I pray that this baby by the name of grace one day rises up in Kurdistan and comes to know you. And, And people ask her, how did you get an English name? That there were this group of people from Goshen, Indiana, who loved me, And by God's grace, I've been saved. And you need to have the grace that I have. You know how that happens? It's by saying yes instead of retreating in fear. Fifty men. Look at verse 7 again. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a what? What's it say? Distance. Facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the jordan they stood back from a distance i love when luke says in luke chapter one how he he gained information about the gospel of jesus christ and in chapter one in verses one through four he says he took an orderly account to the first eyewitnesses who were with jesus listen don't you want to be an eyewitness instead of hitting play on youtube I want to be on the front lines and saying yes instead of saying no. God wants you to be an eyewitness. He made you. You are, have everything you need to be used by him, and the best is yet to come in 2018. See, everyone had the same opportunity here, yet only one. One out of the 51 chose to. Don't be the prophet who stands miles away and misses the first hand witness to a great move of God. Don't be the person who's waiting for a sign or a call from someone. Quit depending on someone else for your own sanctification. Here's how it goes Well, they didn't call me, they didn't ask me to be part of it this time. I'm not doing it. Come on, take responsibility, jump in. If you're dependent on a call from someone else, let me tell you, God already told you to go. Isn't that what the Great Commission is? Go, not sit at home and watch Netflix. Everyone has the same opportunity, yet few take it. You see, I want us and I want to live the kind of life that cannot be lived without the fullness of Christ in my life. When I read this account, I think, how many other prophets could have done this? I think, how many times have you and I missed what God wanted to do for us because we opted out and stayed behind because of some lame excuse? I think... This is the turning point for Elisha's life because everything that God has in store for him was within his grasp. But part of the problem is that we've lost sight of who we are in Christ and why we are here and have lost the ability to dream and think that God can use us. Okay, I want you to do something. You got a pause? Are you breathing? God wants you to use you today. He has a plan for your life. You see, problem is this, we live safe lives and with safe prayers and safe kids on bikes with helmets and elbow pads, and safe jobs and safe investments and safe vacation and safe cars, safe, 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 safe. And if God were to ask us this question, we would have no idea what we want to do for him. Like you should have a dream list. I says, God, if you if you if you, if you dropped a million dollars, someone came, and said, I have a million dollars and I want you to use it for Jesus. Would any of you even know how to use it? Like if why would God have someone come and put an opportunity like that in your life if you don't even know where to use it? Are you going to go buried in the ground like the one talent guy says, cover it up? I don't want to make sure no one steals it. no. I'm going to put it into service. You need to have a dream list. Sometime come into my office. I have 37 of them on my wall. And if you want to help me find them, I'm I'm all in. And one of them is to kiss my wife at the top of the Eiffel Tower. Now that's awesome. I love his response. Chapter 2 and verse 9 says, When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, in fact, look at verse 8 first. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, struck water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Now, come on, that's just incredible. He got to see that firsthand. When's the last time you saw someone take their leather jacket and hit the water and it parted? Don't get, that's not like something we see every day, is it? So verse 9 says, when they crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Now, that's an incredible question, and the only reason he had the opportunity is because he chose to go with him. So, so Elijah looks at Elisha, before I die, what, what can I do for you? What, what might you say? Well, I got this blister on my foot. Can you take care of that? No, 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 no. Elisha knew he was in God's hands, and this was a man of God. And when he had a chance, when God came asking what he wanted, Look what he says. Look what he says. Look what he says in verse 9. He says, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Holy cow. That's a confident man, isn't it? Why? Because he knew who his God was. He realizes that in order to advance the kingdom of God, he didn't want to leave any paint in a can. He wanted two cans. The great tragedy would be to live your life waiting for the moment to come instead of living your life preparing for when the moment does come. So what's Elijah's response? I mean, he's the prophet of God. He hears Elisha's requests In verse 10, it says this. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be what? What's it say? Yours. Otherwise it will not. You must be there to get it. (laughs) You can't be left behind like the other 50 standing on the shoreline saying, hey, did you see what he did with that coat? (laughs) He took his cloak. Look at that water. It stopped. Can't come here and take a look. Can you believe what just happened? I wish I would have said yes. In order to see it happen, You got to go with God. I wonder how many of those standing on the shoreline left double blessings for them because of some lame excuse. Look what happens next in verse 11. It says this, as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more than he took hold of his garment and tore it into two. Then Elijah picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him when he got taken up into the sky, never physically died, and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided it to the right and to the left, and he what? Crossed over. Come on, that had to be something, huh? Like, okay, I asked for a double potion. Let's just see what's left. He grabs his cloak. First he gets to see, I. When, when's the last time you saw someone leave in a chariot, in a whirlwind, and disappear? Probably hasn't happened. You didn't see it this weekend, did you? He was eyewitness to the miraculous. Why? Because he said, I'm gone, and I'm not staying behind. And then he takes a cloak. I wonder if he practiced along the way. (laughs) He got up there, and boom, and it just parted, and he crossed. This was a great but sad moment, but a holy moment. Because many... Other prophets had a chance, too, but said no. You see, I want us to be on the front lines when God is moving, not sitting at home watching reruns on ESPN. Imagine the story that Elisha's children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren would tell one day. Years down the road, hey, let me tell you a story about my great-grandpa. Yeah, hey, come here. Have you ever heard his story about his great-great-grandpa? Yeah, there was a day, yeah, my, 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 my great-grandpa, he took the coat of this man named, named Elijah, and he, he parted the water, and he walked across. And by the way, this man named Elijah, he was in this chariot, and he just rode that baby into the sky. Can you imagine the story to tell? Why? Because one man chose let me tell you, church, there's so many opportunities God gives us I, I, it, because of his grace if we say yes. I remember when my first time's into Vietnam, I went back to Vietnam about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, with with, um, with all Vietnam vets and one other guy. It was the first time back for these vets. And by the way, if you served in our military, thank you. Thank you for serving. If you served in Vietnam, thank you for serving. And because of this account, every time I see a Vietnam vet with the Viet- Vietnam, that he served in the Vietnam War, I go up to him and I tell him, I tell him this. You wonder why you were there. And you wonder why it didn't make sense. And I tell him, because you took English there. And when I went back, all these uh, South Vietnamese kids have all grown up and, and they know English. And now they can read the Bible and understand the Internet. And I say, because you took the English language there 40 years ago, we were able to follow behind with the gospel and they understand it. See, God paved the way. But we were there and we were in, our, we were in the hotel. We were looking for churches. We would just get up in the morning and take a tuk tuk out through the villages and share the gospel, looking for people of peace, trying to plant churches. And one morning we went down to the hotel lobby and there was this European guy that was there. And you know, he stood out, we stood out, and he looked at us and we began to talk to him. And he asked us why we were there. And he says, Hey, by the way, I'm getting married tomorrow. He was marrying a Vietnamese gal. And he said, we're getting married tomorrow. He said, I want you to be part of this. Would you, would you come t- to my wedding? We're like, I've never been to a wedding in Vietnam before. Sure. So the next morning, we met him down there, and we drove back through this village. And there were four or five Vietnamese or Vietnam vets that were with me. And we drive through this village, and it was all set up and had all kinds of pretty flowers. And, and, and the bride was there, and there was the groom. And they sat us down. We were at the table with the father and the grandfather of the bride. So we're seated there, sitting at this table, and I'm thinking, oh, God, you're up to something. I can tell you're up to something. And so conversation began to talk and banter back and forth, and, and, and beside me was a man, the grandfather of the bride, who was former Viet Cong. Viet Cong. And across the table from me were Viet, Vietnam vets. And they began to talk, and before I knew it, this grandfather began to open up his shirt, unbuttoned his shirt, and took off his shirt and showed us a bullet wound that was right above his heart. And he said this. He says, I was shot by Americans. And he said, it almost took my life. And there was a wound coming out the back. And so these Vietnam vets were there, began to talk, and they soon found out that one of them was in the very same province that this man was in. And across the table, I watched Bob Smoker Stand up, tears running down his face. sobbing. reach across the table to this Viet Cong, former Viet Cong, and say this, I once hate you, and I wanted to kill you. He said, but no longer. God has changed my heart, and
1: I love you.
0: Amen. See, the only way that happens, and this man heard the gospel from his enemy, who now loved him. How does that happen? It's by saying yes instead of saying no. It's by jumping in instead of staying back. Now think what happens here. Look look how this account ends. It says this as they they moved on. Verse 13, Elijah didn't pick up Elijah's cloak that had fallen, went back, and stood at the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water, where now is the Lord. And then it says in verse 15, the company of the prophets from Jericho, who were watching, said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Look, they said, we, your servants, have 50 able men. Let them go and look for the master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elijah replied, do not send them. He knew what happened to him, but they persisted until he was too embarrassed to refuse. So he said, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days, but did not find him. When they returned to Elisha, who was standing in Jericho, he said to them, Didn't I tell you not to go? Are you going to be the people that are watching? Or are you going to be the people that are in the midst of the action? One of my favorite scenes from Hoosiers is when Shooter tells the team, as they're pulling at for time out, he says these words: "Don't get caught watching the paint dry." In other words, get in the game. Don't be someone who's standing from the sidelines. Jump in and watch God do something through you. It's only when we realize we are terminal that we start treating time with the respect it deserves. James says it this way, our lives are a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow. Don't say no to an opportunity that can exalt the name of Jesus and we can boast in his name. Most of us are familiar with a hymn that goes like this, I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And a lot of us maybe heard that song when we trusted in him. But let me ask you a question. Do you really follow Jesus? Or are you standing like the 50, watching from a distance? And when God has called you to the deep end. Oh, Lord, I pray, even as Pastor Jeremy comes and we just sit and listen Here in the main and the link, and I pray that the words of the song would wash over us and and we would let them penetrate our hearts. And and Holy Spirit, I pray that you would examine our hearts and and show us, are there areas in our lives where boy, our excuses, they're really good. Where we have sidelined ourselves from a great move of God and God has been knocking, and God has been calling. I pray that this is the year that we don't stay behind. So take a few moments and just search your heart and listen to the words of the song as Pastor Jeremy sings and plays it. In Jesus' name, amen. I
1: have decided to follow Jesus.
0: I encourage you to just stand quietly here in the main the link and just sing these words as a declaration that this is what you believe, this is what you'll choose to do. maybe you're here today I'm going to ask our elders to come to the front they're up front for prayer if you're in the link or in the main just work your way to the front maybe you just need some prayer from these men just need a, a word of encouragement maybe it's confession maybe it's sat on the sidelines too long and be accountable today. But Lord, I pray that we would be the men and women that when the opportunity arises that the excuses that we've carried with us for years after years after years would be thrown to the wayside and that we would follow. We love you, God. May this be the year Thank you.